G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 138 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining in once again. Now, uh, another country lad I have on with me today. Marcus Strum uh, from the Shep area, Shepparton area. I played uh, footy, Marcus, uh, for Fremantle and uh, Geelong. And um, unfortunately, he was a you know, highly touted young young fellow and uh, you know, a pretty high draft pick, but also sort of his career got cut short because of injury and so forth. You know, a really promising player, but also a really, um, you know, uh, beautiful young man, really, really, um, uh, intelligent and uh, really grounded young fella. So Marcus sort of uh, transitioned out of uh, uh, being a player into player welfare and uh, started to uh, help other people with their well-being, which is a really big part of you know what Marcus and I are going to talk about today, some of the tools and things that we can do as individuals to be able to look after our physical and mental health better and uh, you know what Marcus is doing now uh, with the AFL Players Association, but also a lot about uh, being brought up in the bush and uh, what that sort of meant to him and um, you know the values that he sort of took away from it. So um, uh, you're really sure you're going to get a lot from this conversation with him and uh, his observation with regards to men's health and also you know uh, time inside the AFL and what he sort of observed with regards to uh, mental health challenges there, maybe as an individual, but also uh, what he sort of experienced and was exposed to um, with other people. So um, really uh, grateful for, for Marcus to come along and share his journey and experiences. And I'm sure, you know, listeners out there um, will we'll get a lot from this chat, that's for sure. So I hope you enjoy uh, our conversation. Just want to make a special mention to Green Nutritionals who support the podcast. So if you're lacking something in your diet or you're wanting to try and improve your performance and, and use a uh, a product which is uh, purely natural and organic um, rather than synthetic. Uh, they, their products and supplements are sourced from the best places around the world and I uh, really encourage you to check out their website and support them, uh, greennutritional.com.au. Their uh, products are also available all around Australia. So uh, Green Nutritionals are pretty much uh, embedded in most health food stores um, around the place. So um, please check them out. And if you can't uh, get it in your local area, um, jump online and order some. So I reckon uh, it would be sort of a, a great uh, addition to your uh, to your dietary and, um, and supplementation regime, that's for sure. So please support them if you can. Alrighty, appreciate your feedback uh, from this chat with uh, Marcus and I, and please uh, share it around uh, your community also. Marcus, how are you, mate? Good, Aaron. Thanks for thanks for having me on, mate. No worries. Um, really, really grateful uh, to to get you on for a chat. And um, you know, a lot of people uh, would remember you, but I think you've been out of the system as a player for a while. And um, yeah, mate, I yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk all about your playing days and that as we, as we go along. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm sort of. Uh, you know, I spent a fair bit of time in, in the Shepparton area and your family um, was a pretty uh, you know, prevalent family in the, in the region. Um, you know, back in the day, I used to go out to a lot of the Kangatna games and uh, I think I remember you being out there as a young fella or, or somewhere around the traps. Uh, it might have been Notre Dame um, when I was sort of uh, playing, playing a bit of cricket with Central Park or something and we, uh, we used to use the facilities there. But, mate, um, what was it like for you as a young fella back um, you know, growing up in Shep? Yeah, it's uh, very fond memories and, and, and great memories. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I, I grew up in Shepparton, but um, 
but played played my junior footy out at King Gupna as well as at Notre Dame once I got to secondary school. But um, yeah, mate, my, my childhood um, was was basically um, footy out at King Gupna in the winter every weekend, and um, and then my parents played tennis with King Gupna as well. So my summers were still spent out at the footy ground um, mm. watching tennis, but I'd also <laughs> sneak back over the ground as there was cricket on yeah. um, and, and swap between sort of playing and watching tennis and cricket um, in the summer. So I basically had a childhood of, of, of weekends um, spent out at, out at Kingupna, which was, was really good. It was a real family affair. Um, mm. my, my grandfather passed away when I was a baby, but um, his name was on the, he's on the scoreboard. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he was basically at the club from when it started. And then uh, my nana, who passed away about eight or nine years ago, she was uh, she was in the canteen every weekend. So mm, it was a real family affair. I didn't see my dad play. He um, he retired when I was two, but um, he was basically, he, he became president as soon as he retired, so for, for 10 years. So my whole childhood was just um, seeing dad sort of run the footy club mum um, out there supporting and, and my older brothers and, and sister playing footy and netball as well. So, yeah, um, really, really fond memories, mate. You, you, your uncle, Damien, is that right? Yes, yes yeah, Damien's my uncle, so dad's, dad's brother. Yep, I remember sort of him and then he sort of transitioned out of the, the, the local stuff and was in Melbourne and then he, um, then he ended up in Fremantle as a coach uh, back in the day. Is that right? Yeah, he had, he had a pretty interesting journey. Um, so he, he would... He would um, openly say he wasn't the most talented, but uh, <laughs> he certainly worked really hard. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure he, he worked really hard in, in a lot of the opportunities he got. He, he wrote a letter to Geelong, I think as a 21-year-old, um, to, to go down and, and try out. And, and they actually thought he was asking to try out for the under-19s. That's how small he was. <laughs> um, but he was two years past that. And, yeah, just through sort of grit and determination, he, um, he, he forged a 10-year career at Geelong, had a lot of injuries. Um, and then the same with his coaching. He, um, he coached at Werribee after he finished as an assistant. He coached at Port Melbourne. And then um, I think he approached Ron Barassi, who was coaching the Sydney Swans at the time. And this was sort of before there was full-time assistant coaches. Mm. Um, and he basically sort of phone-called his way into a job at the Sydney Swans and and then Rodney E took over and they made it to a grand final and all of a sudden if you're, you're around success, yeah. people start asking questions and then he, he got his opportunity at Freo. So, yes. Unreal. Um, yeah, yeah, good story I think there of determination and, and persistence to sort of get where you want to go. He had to do it the hard way, didn't he? But, you know, I reckon he was more like a strategic analyst. He was a very intelligent sort of thinker, you know, observing him. I might be wrong, but... Certainly, um, yeah, he, he sort of was probably ahead of the game a bit back then, you know, and unfortunately he probably didn't have a lot of success as a coach, but um, uh, he'd, be, he'd be really, you know, really great now in some of these uh, specialist roles, I'd reckon. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. He would have... Um he would have probably, uh, yeah, he was probably a little bit ahead of his time in a sense at, at Sydney. I know, um, I know he's one of the first coaches that sort of brought in the the video sort of review with individual players. Mm. Um, and I even worked with um, Matthew Nix at Port Adelaide a few years ago. And when I got introduced to him, um, one of the first things he said, he goes, he goes, Drummy taught me how to kick. Mm. Um, and he, he did something like 
put a put a theraband sort of on his over his shoulder down to his hand and um, somehow worked with him with his with his kicking technique of, of hand to foot. Um, so yeah, every sort of, when I sort of met different people that crossed paths with him um, in his in his coaching um, that had him with his coaching days, um, there's always sort of something that was that was brought up that they took away. Mm. Obviously, didn't have the the success um, as a senior coach at Fremantle, but. Um, yeah, you're right. Maybe he was more suited to a bit of a specialist role and, and working more individually one-on-one, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. He had that uh, that sort of, uh, I believe, analytical um, sort of makeup to him and can probably, you know, sort of, you know, scale things back for people that are at a base level and then sort of, you know, help rebuild them from there. And it's, it's interesting to hear Matthew Nix, um, you know, sort of credit him with that. And I'm sure there's probably others that took a lot away from it too, but... Um, Mate, your own your own sort of journey and experience, like you know, the the country days were good. You you come through the bush rangers and all that sort of stuff. Was there anyone back there then that um, that you can sort of identify, which really was helpful with you um, and and your development uh, coming through as a young fellow? Yeah, there's a number. There's a number of people. Um, yeah, once I started getting into the bushy system, I was quite fortunate. I got in at at, at 16 years old, so it was. It was a young age. Um, myself and Brett Deledio sort of came through. We debuted together with the Bush Rangers. Mm. We were very competitive, so we, we we pushed each other a lot. You know what he did, I wanted to do, and vice versa, and um, that really helped. Um, my dad was was a great influence in just terms of never pushing. He never got involved in any of the coaching, um, but he was great for feedback. Mm. Um, but he was also good at just just always reminding me that. Um, never pass up any opportunities that get presented to you. Mm. So uh, I heralded my dad a lot for for that. Um, and then my mum was was equally as brilliant in terms of getting me around to places of where I needed to be and mm. catching buses and getting to grounds and stuff. So on a personal level, it's that. And then once I sort of got into the Bushy system, Xavier Tanner was the coach. Yeah, I remember Xavier from May. He was a conductor yeah. for a while too. Yeah, so a good family friend um, and was really fortunate to play under him. Um, he was he was probably someone, again, ahead of his time as well. He, he wouldn't rant and rave. He could deliver a message that would um, hit you between the eyes, but it was done with done with care, mm. probably care and empathy, mm. um, and just very articulate, smart, footy, footy brain, um, but a really good man manager, as I said, probably ahead of his time. So... I thank Xavier a lot for, for the opportunity early days to get into the Bushy system. We played in the grand final in that year um, and played with guys like David Mundy and Kane Tenace and Chris Egan and Riley Dunn and, yeah. uh, and some good country league footballers that went on. Will Gafer, a yeah. um, guy called Mark Worthington, who's now a play development manager down at Geelong, was a, was a tremendous junior footballer. Um, but didn't didn't make it for, for one reason or another, mm. some of those players. But yeah, and then I was just really blessed with um, going through the pathway program and, and different coaches along the way. I, I still remember, you know, my big country under fifteen coach Scott Watson, who was a legend of the Euroa Footy Club. Um, Leon Harris at under sixteen, under eighteen level at big country, who champion footballer, but really, really good coach. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so I had some really good, really good mentors and coaches around that junior pathway program that gave me opportunities and. And showed belief in me, and I think that was half the battle as well. The talent's one thing, but then if you got coaches that are reinforcing your strengths and 
what you're good at, that certainly goes a long way. And if you can stay fit and healthy, that's the next part is, is being on the park to be able to show what you can do. So, mm, yeah, great memories of junior footy and just really good mentors and coaches around me that I feel very blessed and and and, and gave me um, gave me lessons and um, experiences that I've that I sort of take through to, to even now and today in, in life. Yeah, very lucky, mate. Um, certainly, uh, you know, Xavier Tanner, you're right, probably well ahead of his time. That fellow Watson, I remember him, uh, bald-headed fella from, from Uroa, from Mary. Yeah, played um, about 700 games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, a lot of those good country footballers were just showing up week after week. But, you know, if they were around now, they would have got picked up and been drafted because there was obviously more... Uh, you know, there's more requirements and more opportunities for players now. But, um, you know, a lot of those fellas that were running around in those country footy leagues were, were incredible athletes. And um, even Hayden mm. Lamaro, he was playing for uh, Ural, but he sort of got cut from Melbourne early. But um, uh, lots of good uh, good footballers that sort of come from around that area, mate. You're really lucky because um, the whole region, that Golden Valley region, was, was really strong with sport and football. And I, I wanted to know, what was it like for you to sort of get drafted and then go to the other side of the country like that? Was it a bit difficult to start with or you, did you embrace it? Sorry, and just before that, I should touch on, my, my first senior coach at, at Kingupner as well was, was a guy by the, a former year old legend too, a guy by the name of Gary Harvey, known as Nipper. Yeah, I remember um, him, little Nipper fella. Harvey. Short boy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, he, he was a really big influence too. He, he gave me an opportunity at, at um, 15 years of age to play senior footy at King Governor. Mm. Um, and then really, again, another guy that was ahead of his time, he, he didn't put me put me in too early. So I played as a 15-year-old, but then the next year, the year I played Bush Rangers, he didn't put me in straight away. And I was really frustrated at the time that I didn't get in straight away. Mm. Um, but I found out later on that he did that to protect me because... He knew there was probably bigger things to come. Yeah. Um, so at the time, frustrated. Um, but as years went on, you sort of work out, you know, he was ahead of his time, probably trying to protect a young player that, that wanted to make it into the AFL and the Bush Rangers. And, um, yeah, he, he was a super coach. Um, mm, you know, he, he didn't have a lot a lot of stock at Kingupner at the time. Um, we were struggling. But, um, yeah, he, he made the place a really enjoyable place to be around, even though we only won a couple of games that year. Mm. But... Um, yeah, mate. Going back to your question, um, I yeah that that year that I that I got drafted, I, I sort of I resigned. Not resigned. I I wanted to play AFL footy, so I just knew that you're either going to be in Melbourne or, or you're going to be interstate. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd already had some connections over at Fremantle as well. Like David Mundy was over there, Riley Dunn was over there, so a couple of guys mm-hmm. I already played with. Chris Connolly was the coach who was a shepherd and guy yeah. who I didn't know personally, but um, but he knew members of my family and my family knew him. He actually lived with my uncle and auntie in Melbourne when he was a young player at Melbourne. Mm. Um, so there was a connection there. And then, funnily enough, you go into a you go into a waffle draft once you get drafted over there back back then, and and then the waffle do their own draft of the new recruits to Fremantle and West Coast and. I landed at the Perth Demons, who were coached by Simon Eastall, another shepherd guy. Yeah, I remember him. So yeah. I was, I was, again, I keep saying blessed. I truly was. I walked into a club that had um, some familiarity mm. with players uh, and coaches. And then when I wasn't at Freo and I was at Perth in the Waffle, I had Simon there as well, um, just to have that, just to have that connection back to Shepparton and mm. family. 
that played a huge part in just feeling comfortable, feeling at home, and and yeah, I didn't I didn't really experience homesickness at all in my first year um, because I was just excited to be there, living out a dream, getting paid to train and play AFL football. Mm-hmm. There was nothing really to make me say what I want to go home for. Yes. Um, which might sound harsh to mum and dad, but uh, that was just my mentality at the time, and, and I just wanted to give it give it a, a good crack and and spare sponge off all these amazing players that were, were that I was that I was surrounded by. Incredible! Just getting back to Nipper Harvey, I think I had a few beers with him at the Kingcutler Ball uh, a few yeah. uh, a few times, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, he, he was he was a great senior coach, and he was a great social leader as well. Yeah. So, um, the balls yeah, really, really, really good at bringing people together, Nipper. Yeah, the balls were good, so we'll uh, we'll put them <laughs> in, the, in the memory bank. That's for sure. But mate, yeah. unreal. So, so, so it took you a while when you got over there to to get a game, or did you sort of blend in pretty quickly? Yep, yep. It was it was an interesting start. Um, I was only reflecting on this the other day, actually, um, with a work colleague. We we're talking about players that come into the system now, and players that come into the system now. I, I love that they're um, they're confident enough to to think that they can they can play straight away, and mm. and a number of them do. Mm. When I got to Freo, the message from the media manager was, "Don't pump yourself up." which wasn't in my nature anyway. Mm. Um, it's all about a development couple of years. You're not expecting to play senior footy. You want to build You want to build on your craft at waffle level and so on. So as you do at that age, you just do what you're told. So I went in and spoke to the media and said, you know, it's not, no expectations. It's just about development and learning. And it was. But deep underneath, no, I'm not that, not that deep, to be honest. Underneath, I just wanted to play senior footy yeah, straight away. Yeah. And yeah. Fremantle around that mid-range at that time, sort of sitting around sort of 8th, ninth, 10th. Mm. Um, and you compare a lot to guys that get drafted around you and you see them playing footy as well, playing seniors at clubs that are even higher on the ladder and you sort of go, well, you know, do I think I can get a, get a run here? Oh, I think I can. I think there's, there's, there's players I can be ahead of and maybe you're a bit naive as well with that, that you think you're good enough. And Yeah, I remember um, I remember I travelled as an emergency with the team in the, in the NAB Cup um, and we went pretty deep. We might have got to the semi-final. I think Geelong knocked us over, and I was emergency for that. And then we had a week. We had our last game of the practice matches. Then there's a week off, then round one. And what most clubs were doing back then was playing their strongest team in the last practice match of the year, have a week off, and then play round one. Mm. We played our strongest team in the first three weeks of the NAD Cup, so they actually gave opportunities to younger guys in this practice match, which was against Port Adelaide at Fremantle Oval. So I got my opportunity there, and that was the start of 2006. So Port Adelaide still had a number of their 2004 Premiership players running around, and they played their stronger team that night. Really? So it was great exposure. I'm lining up on guys like um, Daryl Wakelin and Chad Corns and and these types of players. Um, Gavin Wanganine might have played as well. And I end up I trained all preseason as a back as a backman. Was going into the game as a back. Kelly O'Donnell, who's the assistant coach at the time, um, grabbed me on the side on the bench and said, "You're going on, but you're going to go as a forward." I played a little bit of forward in junior footy, but the last few years before I got drafted was all as a defender. And, yeah, right. and so yeah, I ran on, played forward, and I don't think any of the guys showed me much respect because I kicked three goals. And Serious? Kick yeah. three goals, and I thought, well, maybe there's a sneaky chance I might play round one. But I guess I'll keep towing the party line of. It's all about development, build on my craft, play at Perth. 
And so, yeah, there was a little bit of media that week leading into round one, and, and I, I did that, I played that line, and, and I was probably always going to play in the reserves. But, yeah, I was emergency for round one. I remember it clearly. It was down in Tassie uh, against Hawthorne. Grant Birchall debut, and we were in the same draft. I was at that And day. I just remember sitting. I was at that Yeah, I just day. remember yeah, sitting. Yeah. Unreal. Oh, you were there? You yeah, were there? I was, yeah, yeah. There you go. And I was sitting in the um, I was sitting in the stands, and I just remember thinking, if, if at the time, if Grant Birchall's getting a game, then I'm not far off. Mm. Um, and then, as history shows, I was emergency for a number of weeks, and um, my form was okay at waffle level. It certainly wasn't warranting a, a senior game, and maybe that was me just waning a bit through having played a, a decent practice match game and dropping back at level, and and then um, I finally got my opportunity in round 13 against Sydney. Unreal, mate. Where was that over there, or was it in uh, Perth? Uh, it was in Sydney. It was a it was a Saturday night game, and Sydney had um, had obviously won the flag the year before in two thousand and five. So it was mm. we, we we were going through a bit of a an interesting phase at that time. We were we were six and six, I think, um, and things weren't looking good. And so we made some we made a fair few changes to the team, and I happened to be one of the changes that come in and. We ended up losing to Sydney that night, uh, and I just I, actually I remember Kelly O'Donnell saying to you, "Goes, do you want the good news or the bad news leading into the game?" I said, "I'll oh, give us the good news, I guess, and then we'll go to the bad." So, good news is you're playing. Bad news is you're probably going to be asked to go and um, step into Barry Hall's leading space from time to time. Oh, really? I thought, well, this is what I've always wanted to do. Um, let's go for it. And so, yeah, it was, it was a real eye. I actually went on. Funny enough, I went on as a forward for a start. So um, lined up on Leo Barry, um, mm. got a mark early, went back, had a set shot, kicked the point, which is disappointing. Um, but I thought, well, I've, I've had a possession in AFL football, played one game, no one can take that away. And, and I finished up down in the back line towards the end of the night as well. So I, I, I was in the vicinity of Barry Hall, but I, I escaped unarmed and, and alive. <laughs> but we went down by about five goals, but... Sounds a bit weird. It was, it was actually a turning point in that game. Um, we'd had a bit of a we'd had a bit of a, um, a come together that week as a group um, around a bonfire. It's quite a famous famous story, um, and it was all about what are we going to do for the rest of the year to get our season back on track. And we had a bonfire, and one of the coaches said, "I want you to look into the bonfire as it's burning, and what is it that you're going to bring to every game for the rest of the year." And when you're out on the field and deep in the third quarter or deep in the last quarter and you're buggered, you can't give any more, refer back to that, what you're seeing in the bonfire and what it is that you're going to bring and bring that out on the field. So mm. that was leading into the Sydney game. We lost the Sydney game and then history shows we went on to win the next nine and uh, we fell over um, the last hurdle in the prelim. Did you play all through that time? No, so I played five in a row, and then I did my hamstring at Telstra Dome, or Etihad. Yeah. Marvel now, sorry. Mm. Um, did my hamstring. Um, that was about round 17. Uh, it was an 11-centimetre tear. I, um, I thought I thought someone had shot me from the stands. I'd never done a hamstring before. Really my first main injury ever. And, um, yeah, so I had to build back up again. I, I just thought I'd be out for somewhere for two to four weeks. This was probably my naivety as a young fella. Mm-hmm. I, thought I was playing all right at senior level, build back up, maybe play a game in the twos and get back in. And 
Uh, I got back, um, but then finals hit, and my waffle team didn't make the finals, so I had to do basically conditioning training to give myself a chance. I was an emergency for the prelim, one of three emergencies, which was um, it was a great experience to be around the team. Mm. Um, and I think we had Matthew Carr go down early with a knee. Troy Cook had been up all night the night before, spewing up, but played. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was a missed missed opportunity, but um, mm. but we had three emergencies as well. So who knows if I if I would have got in if, if we if we had to choose one as well. But yeah, I was around the mark. Um, but yeah, it wasn't to be. So mate, um, so yeah, interesting. Like with regards to your, your journey over there, you were there for what three or four years at Frio, is that right? Yeah, four years. Yep, yeah, and and like you, yep. you obviously had a few injuries and you know a few few battles. Did that ever like really affect you mentally with regards to your self confidence and and you know maybe maybe the, the the mental well being side of things was that sort of challenged? Um, you know, while you were there. Yeah, no doubt. Initially, that first hamstring injury, like I said, you're probably young and naive. I hadn't, hadn't had any injuries. I just thought, this will heal. I'll rehab it. I'll get back. We'll be right. And then uh, then that season finished. I did all the pre-season the next year and then did another hamstring in the NAB Cup 2007. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, couldn't, couldn't, get it, couldn't get back in the team. was playing waffle footy all year and sort of got in late. Uh, and then, yeah, injuries seem to just keep coming. Um, I'll never, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll never really know what that's down to. You know, people say some bodies just aren't made for the rigours of AFL. Could have been that. Um, I played a lot of cricket as a, as a young kid and, and had some sort of lower back stress fracture issues at sort of 14, 15. Mm. Could that have been related to it as well as, you know, gym work or gym technique? I, I really don't know, but... Yeah, the more injuries you got, um, the the more it did weigh on your, your mental, mm. the mental side of things. And, and you do, you then start doubting. And it's more doubt around, I don't think you ever doubt the ability, because you know you've got the ability. I think you doubt whether your body can stand up to it. Yeah. And if I'm in a game, I remember clearly there was games, I remember doing a hamstring in a game and playing out the game and just in my head going, I've already done it. I can feel I've done my hamstring. I'm going to keep going until I rip this off the bone. I actually can't walk anymore. Mm. And funnily enough, it didn't actually get any worse, but I could feel it grabbing and pulling sort of with every step. Mm. So I wasn't 100%, but that that was in about my third year. And, yeah, I just remember then thinking um, I, um, I'm at that stage where I'm just going to keep going here until I, until I really do damage to it so I actually can't mm. play anymore. Yeah, um, tricky, mate. Because and, yeah, you were so determined yeah. uh, to to make a difference and capitalise on your opportunity, you know. And uh, your body's mm-hmm. your body's uh, given you signs that uh, uh, you know that needs needs some adjustment. But yeah, it's funny the male ego mm-hmm. sometimes, mate. We 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 whether we're an athlete or whether we're trying to um, do something, whether that be physical or you know just. Uh, just, just by ignoring uh, what's going on in our body, you know, whether it's someone that's unfit and unhealthy, they 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 got troubles and that going on, they'll mask it up and try and push through it. But really, the body's smarter, mm. isn't it? It's trying to teach us all the time, but we we sort of fail to uh, to realise, uh, you know, um, what it's actually trying to communicate to us as well. It's yeah, it's interesting, eh? Uh, it is, and and I coach a, a school footy team down here in Melbourne as well, and I uh, I think from the experiences learned through not having injuries as a junior to then having them sort of in senior footy 
uh, you know, when I come across kids that, that do get injuries and long-term injuries, I'm more mindful of that when talking with them mm. and dealing with them, that, um, you know, use this to build resilience and, you know, you, you, you're going through some injuries and some adversity now, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You might be injury-free in your senior footy or you might keep getting injuries every year and how are you going to deal with that and what tools are you going to put in place and who are you going to have assist and support and help to get through that? Um, yeah, because back back when it was happening to me, it was, um, yeah, we had, a, we had a player welfare manager, we had a club psych, mm. but, you know, you, you, you didn't really advertise if you were going to see a club psych about how to get your mind right yes. and, and try to forget, forget your body. Um, whereas now, players are making that part of their part of their schedule. You know, seeing a psych or doing some mindfulness or whatever it might be is as, as important as doing your weights, doing your yoga, doing your actual training on the track, yes. playing the actual game on the weekend. So, mm. yeah, it's come a long way. All part of the program. It's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like I um, I I I sort of you know, personally got into fitness quite a bit, and then. I got into the yin yoga because the yin yoga was just doing the opposite of what the fitness was and that was helping the body um, come back to balance again and uh, you know that, yep. that that prevented injuries and it created uh, you know better performance and sustainability in that too and uh, for me the hardest thing was slowing my mind down you know because <laughs> uh, yep. yeah. as a guy you just want to keep going and thinking and, and, and achieving and doing but slowing down is such a, a tricky thing so I been able to sort of help a few people with that sort of realization that you've got to be able to put work into the stillness as well as the um, as well as the movement too. It's it's really important and you know maybe maybe there was a lot of pressure on your body back then. That's why these injuries were, were popping up. Yeah, potentially. And but as as I said, um, and it's interesting, it's interesting too. Um, I remember the fitness and conditioning coach at the time ben tarbox you know they they would take it really personally as well and so he would go back over every training session every game every little bit of detail to try and find what could have caused it mm. and you keep coming back to we don't 100 percent know it could have been something in the program it could have been something i was doing away from the club it could just be my makeup mm. so you see all sides of it and you see how it affects other people and um and on one player you know, that strength and conditioning coach, you know, if he's got multiple injuries with players, yes. you know, he's going over in his head, what could it have been? What could I have done different in the training program for this individual? So, yeah, and and so there's a lot of... It, it then affects not just one player, it affects, that's what I'm trying to say, it affects a lot of people's minds within the program. Mm, that's true, absolutely, yeah, because there's a lot of people that are... But, um, you know, they're, they're a stakeholder in, uh, in, the, in the performance side of things and they can be accountable mm. with regards to making sure that people are, you know, physically and mentally well and, and able to, to do their role. They're really, at the end of the day, you know, um, the individual's yeah. role when it's mainly above the shoulders is different than when you're having to use the whole body to, um, to achieve something, you know. <laughs> and yeah. uh, everybody's different, you know. Every physical body's different. We've you know, got individual needs and all that too. So it's, uh, it's an interesting thing, you know, the humans and um, what, yeah. uh, what actually, uh, you know, has come of it over the last, you know, sort of 20 years with regards to managing people. But, you know, back in Xavier Tanner's day and your old man's day and when Damien was playing, then it was a totally different story, you know. Uh, yeah. but, but now it's just become more analysed and uh, and so forth. But mate, it's interesting. Yeah. Like oh, I'd like to know when you went to Geelong, oh, was that transition pretty easy for you, or, or did you um, did you sort of you know take a little while to fit in there? 
Yeah, it's, um, it was probably a bit of both, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'd sort of, I'd sort of made my mind up halfway through my last season at Freo that uh, I needed a fresh start. Um, number of factors, opportunities weren't coming. My footy was starting to wane at waffle level. I wasn't wasn't playing well enough to get a game. Um, and maybe, yeah, looking back, I was I was too focused on worrying about trying to get a senior game rather than just focusing on playing my role at, at waffle level to give myself a chance to play. Um, and so I thought a fresh start might help that, maybe getting back to Victoria. It wasn't necessarily about getting back to Victoria. No, it was fresh start anywhere, but maybe getting back to Victoria might be a good thing too because you're close to family. Um, and, uh, yeah, getting there, again, there was some familiarity. I played junior footy with Joel Selwood, so, um, you know, it was good to hook up again with him. Um, and Tom Hawkins, I'd played a bit of footy against in the Murray League. He was from Finlay, I was from Kingutna. Mm, so right. yeah. some guys I've played against. Um, Shannon Burns was there, so I played some junior footy with him at Kingutna as well. Yeah, so, yeah, I was excited to get there. Uh, and, and they'd just come off winning the 2009 Premiership. So um, you're running around training with some unbelievable players, you know, you reel them off, you know. Mm. Um, Cameron Ling, Joel Selwood, James Kelly, Jimmy Bartel, Matthew Scarlett, mm. Paul Chapman, um, the list goes on and on. Mm. And um, what that actually showed me, and it was certainly no disrespect to Freo, but it's just where we were at the time where, you know, I think we'd finished towards the bottom and um, their, they, their work ethic and training ethic, they trained like they played a game every session. Mm. And... And they would stop training themselves as players, so it wasn't Bomber Thompson pulling it up. And, you know, it'd be Cameron Ling or Paul Chapman stopping training and or Joel Corey, who never said much, but when he did, he made sense and people listened mm-hmm. and and just say, Boys, that's not what we do. That's not that's not the structure we play. Why are we going out from that? And this would be in January. This would be January four. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so I learned so much about hard work and that when you achieve the ultimate like these guys had that it doesn't get easier it gets harder and harder and you need to keep challenging and it's not personal and it's about getting better and so i was very fortunate to um to be around those guys in that period that era again i did the full first pre-season there and then got injured um in the practice matches um it was a detached retina so it was a little bit a little bit weird but Mm -hmm. That basically put me out till till around sixteen of that season. So, um, yeah, I, I was very fortunate to be around those, those guys and, and that club, that environment. Um, but the silver lining from that was, you know, the, the off field, the staff there, the play development staff that looked after the players' off field interests. They really opened it up to me to set my program because I was in rehab for a lot of it to suit what I was doing with my study or where I want so that they basically left it up to me you go do you want to train while the rest of the guys here do you want to do your training early and then go off and do your study really up to you how you want to run it so mm. that's because I had a long-term injury so yeah I was very grateful and you know I wouldn't be sort of where I am today with my sort of off-field career if it wasn't for those people at the club at Geelong uh, investing in in me um, being able to sort of tailor the program for what was best for me at the time. Were you, were you able to play many games there when you come good, or? 
Uh, so I played round one of the VFL season was a night game, and um, and I noticed that night my vision was was a bit out of whack, and I'd copped a broken nose in the couple of weeks before in another in a practice match. So I just thought it was from the effects of that, and then anyway, it turned out to be a detached retina. Mm. Um, so I had a yeah surgery on that, and then I think it was round sixteen I came back. I played my first game back. Um, I played in the VFL. Then the next week we played Gold Coast. This was the year before Gold Coast entered the AFL. They were in the VFL. Yeah. Um, injury happened, tore ligament off my bone on my ankle. And then again, going back to like I, I did at Freo when I played with that hamstring injury, I was in denial. So I kept playing the game out. I lived around like an 80 year old man. And it wasn't until the physio actually said, mate, come off, you're no good. So I needed someone to tell me that, even though I knew it in the back of my mind. <laughs> Um, and then that was my season done. So it was three VFL games, one that was a full game, two that were injury, injury um, played. And then um, the next year, I, um, we didn't do surgery on the ankle. Um, the decision from the doctor was uh, rested up over the off-season and it should heal itself back on. Uh, in hindsight, I'm not a medical professional, but we, we, um, we jabbed it up. Um, with cortisone to try and get through the next preseason, it didn't work. It worked for a week or two, and then it, the pain would come back. So they operated on it in late January, and then I was basically out till around eight or nine. And then um, return game back, did a hamstring within the first couple of minutes. Jeez. Um, out again, and I think because I've done so many hamstrings, you know, what was probably a two to four week hamstring. They were a bit cautious, so it ended up being maybe a six to eight week hamstring just to make sure it's right and build your training back up. I was all ready to come back for my second game of the year in the VFL, and the day before the game, we are doing a captain's run, and the hamstring went again. Oh, and that was the moment I knew. It was on, it was at Cadinia Park on a Friday after a Friday morning. Um, I'd done my hamstring in a drill, not not a big drill either, just you're blowing the cobwebs out before the, the game the next day. Mm. And I remember walking, I was on the other side, I was on the far wing, and I walked back towards the uh, the change rooms, and this is 2011, so Geelong win the flag that year, so there's a lot of competition for spots, and Cam Mooney, I think, was injured at the time. He was doing some rehab on the side. He saw me walk in, he could obviously see I was quite dejected and I knew walking across the oval that that was it I was I was retiring mm. I was pulling the pin um and yeah I, I grabbed I don't know why but I grabbed ice and put it on my hamstring I think I was just used to doing that even though I knew that I was done mm. uh so I got straight into the mode of healing again rehab and yeah I remember Moons came, came in stopped what he was doing he was um close to me in the locker room I was number 23 he's number 21 so he, uh, he came and sat sat next to me and just sat with me and just put his arm around me. He, uh, there wasn't much said. Um, and, yeah, he just sat. He just sat with me for, I, I couldn't tell you how long it was. It, it felt like an hour. It was probably only two to, two to three minutes. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, I remember leaving that night, um, going home, seeing my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and mm. I said to her, yeah, I'm done. That, that's it. And... Um, yeah, called uh, called my parents and had a weekend to think about it. But um, yeah, it was basically my decision was made. I, I thought there's got to be something better out there than continually breaking down. Mm. And uh, yeah, I called uh, called Chris Scott um, on the on the Monday and said, "Yeah, be, can we catch up? I'm, I want to pull the want to pull the pin." And um, 
yeah so that was it and yeah it all just sort of ends ends like that really unbelievable i'm really grateful that you shared mm. that and mate you need to be proud of yourself for for, for you know being uh, confident enough to to move on you know um Really, a lot of a lot of people, whether it's in uh, the workplace or whether it's uh, in a professional pursuit, just keep, you know, mm. keep keep chipping away and, and busting their ass, but not getting anywhere. You know, it, it's really it, it takes a lot of courage to be able to um, to recognise something and there's something that's not working. There's probably better things for you. Um, you know, to mm. be able to say, well, yeah, look, I'm I'm excited now to be able to see what's what, what what's coming up and what's what's next and what's for me, you know. And if, uh, I believe that that mindset really helped you because it actually gave you an open mind to uh, to to going into something where you were able to um, you know still have a, a really good impact, whether that be with the boots on or not, you know. And um, yes, yeah. mate, you, you really need to um, you know acknowledge acknowledge that uh, commitment to yourself to say, well, yeah, I just can't keep showing up here, you know, because it wouldn't have been of service to you or anyone else if you kept doing that and you obviously were able to uh, provide a spot for someone else on the on the list who who come in for you do you remember oh well see the thing was this this was in sort of late july early august so i was still contracted to the end of october so i kind of i remember thinking at the time i'm still employed here for another few months i i should really take this opportunity i've been sort of studying towards wanting to be a player development manager in the afl and mm. so i thought i've got a real opportunity and my mind went straight into all right what's the next opportunity right and and i really just went into um i've got some months here to go and really tap into networks and meet people and maybe talk to what i think my strengths are not go and beg for a job but just go and talk to people and mm. get some advice and you know, how did you get there? So I actually ended up ended up writing a list of all the people I'd come across in every year in the system, um, in terms of coaches, administrators at Fremantle and Geelong, and and then people at other clubs who I'd been introduced to, even some media people, um, and and uh, and my player manager Paul Connors played a big role at the time as well. And so I thought I'm going to tap into these people, go and meet up with them, and shout them for a coffee and. And tell them what my interests are but then you know um sort of talk to them about how they got to where they got to and then you know what are some what are some skills or attributes you think you need to to go into the player development sort of area and um yeah so i spent sort of three months i think it was just driving down to melbourne um meeting up with people shouting them coffee and uh really using that time to, to try and find what was next and i was i was really lucky because i'd meet someone and they would put me onto someone else and they might have been from another club they might have been from another industry um yeah i remember meeting up with chris connolly who was working at the melbourne footy club at the time and then you know i went and caught up with steve nick who was footy manager at freo my time there but he was the general manager of footy at carlton and then paul connors had put me on to an assistant coach at richmond that he knew and someone else knew that played about manager at hawthorne and so i was meeting all these different people um and I came across I came across a guy who has who has really um, really helped me in my transition. He's an ex player. His name's Raven Tallis. Oh yeah, yeah. He was yeah he was working for um, AFL Sports Ready at the time um, in AFL programs. He was working with players with their off field development, putting them into workplace or programs on their day off, and really assisting them with that. And um, yeah, we just hit it off, and I think he could see a little bit of him in me at that time as well that 
um, you know, I was happy to be a bit of a go-getter. I was happy to do anything. And long story short, he um, he he got me on at AFL Sports Ready um, to work with him, pretty much for, for no money, um, to to try and get me in front of the CEO there to show my work ethic. And I was basically assisting him with his um, with his work, um, doing a lot of the paperwork, picking up the phone and calling host employers and asking how. You know, how's Cameron Lynn going in, in this role that he's doing with you? And mm. how's um, Patrick Dangerfield going in this role they're doing with you? Whoever the player was. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was lucky enough to sort of land employment that way. So I've gone a bit off track there, but that just probably shows my transition at that time. Um, but in terms of who came in, I know Cam Guthrie was, was around at the time. He was a first-year player who's obviously still going now. Yeah. Um, and then guys like Nathan Vardy was around, Daniel Menzel. Um, yeah, so I wasn't playing in the senior team at the time, but they were sort of the young kids coming through. Mitch Duncan, um, they were the sort of first and second year players. Alan Christensen, and they were sort of sort of in and out of the, the senior team at that time themselves. Unbelievable, mate. Look, again, you know, getting on the front foot, this is where you know that's that's you know really call it as it is like a lot of a lot of young fellas would pull out the mental health card you know with regards to you know having a a, a moment in their life where where they're challenged but getting back to what i sort of said to you off air before being proactive rather than being reactive you know if you can be proactive then all of a sudden you you're, you're on a pathway to move forward and and you know you, you've done that you've actually like started to explore well, what networks have I got here? Um, you know, who can I speak to that's got the ability to be able to give me some awareness around what I want to do and what the opportunities are? And then you've been able to sort of, you know, not have any ego attached with regards to what you were doing. You've, you've gone into a role mm. where you weren't getting paid much, you're probably going off a lot of money as a player, back to not much again. But, you know, through that, that transition, you've actually saw uh, an opportunity to be able to, to create a, a career for yourself. And, you know, geez, mate, that, 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 that lived experience and having those runs on the board not only makes you really good at what you do, but also you know, the ability to be able to help other individuals um, you know, transition from, um, from being a player into, into you know, uh, let's say, you know, the workforce or adult life or whatever it actually uh, it could be for someone, the next part of their career. But being able to mentor individuals uh, um, you know, in, in the workplace through your experience, um, you know, with all those individuals that you rattled off before at uh, the Bush Rangers and Kingupner and uh, Frio and everyone that's, you know, played a um, part of your journey, that, that's, that's, that's developed you into the individual that you are. And, you know, you really got to, you know, as I said, be proud of yourself, but be grateful for those experiences to be able to help you uh, be strong enough to make a decision um, uh, to, to move on and, and actually do it with, with courage at the end of the day because that's that's so important, mate. Yeah, and I think too, reflecting back, I should I should have also said as well, um, I did all that meeting up and network with people, but, but it didn't happen straight away either. I I, I was lucky enough, the, the, the play development manager at Geelong at the time, uh, two of them actually, Ron Watt and David Johnson, mm. I just said, oh, I want to do something. Like, what's, some, what's some work I can do straight away to keep busy? And they put me in touch with a, a local landscaper in Geelong. And I ended up working with this guy for maybe three months. Um, but to give a dose of reality, um, back the next year in the pre-season, we actually were, were doing some, some concreting work at Cadinia Park. So there I am 
four months after I've retired, <laughs> um, um, digging some holes and putting some some concrete in in uh, Cadinia Park, and the boys are rocking in, going off to uh, to training. So you talk about your ego. Um, mm. Yeah, once one time you, you're an AFL footballer, and a couple months later you, you, you're digging the holes. There's nothing against digging holes, but that's just the dose of reality. <laughs> yeah, and then. Um, and then it would have been another twelve months before I, I sort of got that that um, opportunity with with Raiden at AFL Sports Ready. You know, I was still landscaping back in Melbourne for twelve months, and I was just jumping at any opportunity. I just said, if, if there's any sort of forum that the play development managers all attend, or if there's any sort of courses going on, I'm happy to forego the the landscaping work to sort of get in front of people and show that I'm show that I'm serious and and keen and. And I think the next part to that is, um, you know, I missed out on jobs along the way too. Like I missed out on on maybe three or four jobs at, at clubs, mm. and the the doubt crept in again. Oh, is is this is play development for me? Is this sort of role for me? Is this telling me it's not for me? Um, but having a support network around you of people, you know, my my wife was was huge support for me in terms of belief. Um, you know, she just kept saying this has you all over it this is perfect for you you've got to keep going at it mm. um my parents were big as well um so and, and mates even I, I had mates that were still in the afl system tell mate this role is perfect for you mm. so you only need a couple of comments like that from people that you trust that are close to you to that, that they probably don't realize the impact that has on you to keep going um yeah. And so I did keep going and, yeah, and I've been very, very fortunate since to have sort of landed a role um, in different organisations within the AFL industry and I've been, been in it the whole time. So I, I kind of credit the time when I was injured at Geelong to, to where I am now, as I said earlier. Yeah, mate. Beautifully said. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. I just believe as, as males we need to understand that when we're throwing a curveball, um, you know, what's the opportunity that's coming from that? What's this trying to teach me, you know? Um, rather yep. than sort of, um, you know, finding the negative in it, there's, there's really positives in everything, mate, you know? And um, getting back to what the body teaches you, your body's going to teach you something every morning when you get out of bed. And, you know, you would have listened to the conversation I had with Heath Black and, um, you know, mm. sort of explaining to him that what do I need today, you know? What, 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 do, I, what do I actually need to get myself... Uh, in balance and in check again is that a workout is it sitting in stillness is it doing something where i'm going to be um uh you know uh, able to enhance my well-being you know uh and, and someone that's got a challenge with a mental health condition um you know primarily if they if they can sort of be able to be self-aware enough to to do that rather than look outside for answers look inside for answers i think that's that's really important and um yeah, you know, you, you through your own journey, um, that, that's all happened for a reason, mate. I really believe it. Like the body, the body um, you know, gave in, but there's, there's so much that you can, you can do from that learning and knowing which, uh, which can help other individuals be more self-aware. So you've got a real gift there and your wife was right and all those mates were right all along. You know, you, you went through the, um, the, the physical side of things to be able to come back to a, a, a greater level of awareness, you know, and I reckon, mate, you, you, it's only just the beginning for you, you know, with regards to where you can take this and, and the organisations that you've been involved with and, you know, the organisation that um, you're involved with now are, um, you know, are very fortunate to have someone like you with that lived experience uh, on board. 
Uh, thanks, mate. I appreciate those kind words. Um, yeah, it, it, is, it does feel a bit awkward when you hear that, but um, <laughs> yeah, you just hope that you um, that you, you you have an impact um, on the organisations or the people you come across. That, that's all. That's all I sort of ever want. And if yeah, if any of my experiences or, or journey resonates or helps anyone, then then that that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's yeah, it's, I guess I've been shaped by a number of people and, and experiences in, in my life, and you know I think first and foremost it's it's who's who's the closest to you, well family, um, my wife and kids, and, and then parents and siblings and extended family, and then the people you come in into contact with, and I've just had really good experiences at organisations organisations I've been a part of, um, and so I think. Yeah, if you, if you have those positive experiences, um, you can't you can't not take anything away from it. And the people you come in come in contact with, and people that influence you along the way, um, there's a reason. There's a reason why, obviously. So it happens. Being yeah. fortunate. I agree, mate. And and look, the, I believe the lived experience is really powerful. And you know, you could have. Uh, you could have been a kid that went and studied this stuff straight after school, but you would not have the ability to be able to, you know, contribute like you are now, I, I would have thought, you know. So so there's lots in that with regards to organisations, um, um, you know, realising where the real value is with regards to, you know, providing content. And, you know, through your own journey, I, I just believe you, you can really help a lot of um, you know, individuals, um, you know, uh, develop... Um, uh, the ability to be able to sort of, uh, you know, take some autonomy and that and, and really welfare and well-being is a critical um, part of life now to be able to sort of get that, um, you know, in check because really let's, let's have a look at it. You know, the issues of anxiety and depression and all the associated um, mental health uh, challenges that we're going through and subsequent suicides with regards to guys is continuing to, to escalate. But I believe, you know, if we can invest in, in, in the well-being of our people and, and empowering them to, um, to you know, achieve things and find what it is that they're, that they're really good at and really passionate about, then we can start to arrest some of the, the issues that we're having. And, and we've all got something inside us that, um, that, 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 that really is our, our calling and our, and our, you know, um, our truth. And, you know, you've been able to, to find that and I'm sure... You know, if you're able to sit and talk with individuals like probably Cameron Ling did with you back then to be able to find what it is, uh, you know, that, that's next for you. What do you really want to do? What do you love to do? Then, um, you know, life can be a real, real, real joy. And, you know, we don't have to struggle when we can thrive in this lifetime, I, I believe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we get stuck in, <laughs> in all the negative stuff. So it's interesting, mate. And, yeah. Gee, so what's next for you? Are you just happy to hang around in the role that you're doing for a while? Or you got any aspirations with uh, with what you're wanting to do uh, more in the future? It's a it's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I I really do enjoy what I do. Um, yeah, working closely with so I work closely with three clubs at the AFL Players Association: um, Carlton, Collingwood, and Essendon. Yeah. Um, assisting their players with their off-field development. Um, you know, making sure they're across the collective bargaining agreement, the workplace environment is is um, is good for them. That they're getting their respected time away from the club, all that sort of stuff. So I really enjoy that. Um, and you know, the AFLW space is getting bigger. So you know, working closely with with Collingwood and Carlton 
players and, and also the stakeholders um, at, at, at the clubs as well. Um, you know, I'm very big on building relationships and um, having conversations and you know, this job allows you to, to go and do that and, and really get to meet with people and understand them, how they tick. Um, and, and I'm privileged to be able to walk in and out of all those clubs as well and see how they operate differently and mm. and things like that. So, yeah, I do enjoy what I do. I also coach, um, coach the first 18s down at Scotch College as well in the APS. Um, right. So I had a couple of years there as an assistant and uh, I was fortunate enough to to land the, the head coaching role as a co-coach with, with one of the teachers down there, Steve Holding. So mm. um, I love that because it... You know, the, the work I do with the Players Association is really good and it's very professional. You're around elite athletes and you're meeting with, obviously, you know, stakeholders within the clubs. And um, and then I love what Scotch brings. It actually sort of brings me back to, in a, in a funny way, back to a bit of my sort of childhood days with yeah. King Upner. I see these kids come through at Scotch and Scotch is their club and they bleed Scotch blood and mm. so yeah like I said it takes me back to my, my days at Kiana but, but I really love coaching those boys because it's um, it sort of brings back to why you coach uh, why you enjoy footy in the first place yeah. um, which is to go out and, and play with your mates and have fun and and enjoy it um, and and I'm really really lucky to be at a school like Scotch that's got unbelievable resources um, mm. you know a director of director of sports Stuart Power whose brother Stephen played some AFL footy um, with um, Melbourne and St Kilda and the Bulldogs, I think, and, and Stewie was a great player yeah. himself, but, but injuries got in the way there. Um, teacher in charge, Rob Smith, who's been at the school. We joke about it, actually. He's been at the school since the year I was born. Um, so uh, he's been there a long time, yeah. going on 35 years. Yeah. Um, and then we've got, we've got Rodney Ead as the director of coaching there. So Jeez. to have him as someone that I can bounce ideas off and he can give me some feedback on my coaching and where I can improve that. Um, again, I've just sort of, you know, I got involved at Scotch through Raiden Tallis, who was coaching there. So he's now yeah. moved on to another school. But um, So I've just been fortunate with some people in my life that have led me in the direction of opportunities. Um, and then I've just really tried to hone in on the, the networks and the relationships of people at those clubs and, you know, being at a school like Scotts with those resources and, and those people around, you know, to be able to sort of call on them, um, you know, like I said, with any feedback, any life advice, work advice, footy advice, whatever it is, mm. um, yeah, I feel I feel very blessed to be between both the, the AFLPA and, and Scotch. And then, yeah, in terms of what's next, I'm a little bit here and now, so... That's it, um, keep it there, mate. It sounds like it's know, working for you. That's the main thing, you know, and... Uh, you, yeah. you, you're doing wonderful things for your own well-being, but you're also doing lots of wonderful things for others' well-being as well. So, you know, that's, that's the great thing about life. If we don't force it and let it happen, um, you know, the opportunities yeah. uh, come. But, uh, uh, you know, certainly, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're not in any hurry and you're in a really good space. So, you know, mate, thanks to Raiden Tellus, you know, <laughs> at the end no, of the day. Yeah. yeah, he's done some wonderful uh, things. hundred percent. 100%. Um, he, he doesn't get enough. Um, he doesn't get enough praise. He gets embarrassed by it as well. But um, yeah, he, he just has so many stories to tell about his own experiences and own journeys and the success of his own own life. Mm. Um, it's a really uh, it's he, he's a hidden gem radar because um, yeah, the amount of things he's taught me um, and the opportunities he's provided to me, as I said, 
um, I'm forever grateful and indebted for. And he actually he made my transition as smooth as it could possibly be. Um, I think we all have challenges with our transition. I'm a big believer that all players have a have a have a have a challenging transition at some time. Whether you're Chris Jard or Matthew Pavlich, or whether you're myself. Um, I think we all have a challenge at certain times and yeah, to be able to have people that can help assist you along that way to, um, to, to, yeah, to be able to be provided the opportunities, um, that he's given, as I said, I'm forever grateful for it. Yeah. Uh, he's become a really good mate and, um, like I said, I think he's got a lot to offer and there's probably a fair bit that, that's untapped there as well. Incredible. And he's probably best remembered for getting cleaned up by Dermot Brereton. I think back back. Yeah, back and he day. reckons he, he reckons he reckons he gets asked about it every week. So <laughs> you can imagine being asked about the same thing every week for yeah, twenty five years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but um, I, yeah, not, don't I, forget he. Go ahead. He was a sorry. I was going to say he yeah, he gets remembered for that. But he was a um, he was a great footballer. That he tells a story. He was he was out the door at twenty two when um, Ken Judge finished up and Peter Schwab came in mm. and tells the story that Schwabby said to him. You'd probably be delisted if you didn't have a year to go on your contract. Oh, great. Um, really nice. And he, he ended up getting another seven years out of the career and went till he was 30. Jeez. So, just, yeah, like, yeah, that, that's a great story in itself for anyone that, that wants persistence, wants to understand some persistence and determination. And yeah. um, he had over 10 years in the system, which, yeah, if, you, if you're playing more than 10 years in the system, you, you're doing something right along the way. Mm. I have to get him on for a podcast, I think, and, and Rodney Eid, I think, would be a good uh, good gentleman to have a chat with, being from Tassie and, um, you know, Glenwalkie. Yeah. I, I know uh, know where he was. Uh, I lived in Hobart for quite a while. I know, know sort of his roots and that down there, so he'd, he'd be able to uh, help a lot of guys out, I reckon, through his uh, career. But, mate, um, yeah. it's been a really bloody great chat. I really appreciate it, Marcus. Um, if anyone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, yeah, Probably LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn. Yep. You just typed in typed in uh, my name. I, I would come up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, email marcus.drum at hotmail.com. Um, yeah, I'm not sure um, how I can assist, but yeah, if any, yeah, I, I, if I can assist in any way, uh, I know this podcast sort of is targeted towards sort of rural and, and regional and um mm. yeah I've, I've obviously got a, a, a real passion although i live down in melbourne i've got a real passion to to back to back to rural and you know being a shepherd boy and a kingupna boy um you know i love getting back there at every opportunity i get so um i live in the city but uh i've certainly got the country well and truly yeah. entrenched in me so it's yeah more than happy to um for anyone to reach out if I can help and assist in any way, more yeah, than happy to. Appreciate this. There might be a young fella or two that might be struggling with uh, with uh, the transition, and mate, there's lots of uh, wisdom that's come from this conversation, which can help empower people, and that's that's really what it's all about. So, really grateful for your time, mm. mate. I'm I'm sure we're gonna uh, maybe have one or two more of these down the track uh, when you when you have time, and um, there's lots of uh, good things coming your way. So, really appreciate it. No, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it, and, uh, and thanks for thanks for having me on. Thanks very much for listening in. What a amazing young fella! Really, the the real content, you know, and the value from the conversation. You know, it was the second part of the chat when Marcus sort of transitioned. Um, you know, from the AFL uh, as a player and, and into what he's doing now, and just the determination that he had to uh, to, to create a pathway for himself um, is really creditable. And um, and look at the results of that now and, and what he's doing and 
what he's been able to achieve and all the other people that have benefited too. So I really hope you enjoy the chat. Um, if you want to reach out, give me some feedback, uh, support at outbackmind.com.au and also um, share the podcast with others that uh, may find it helpful. Um, lots of really good guests coming along soon and uh, a couple that um, uh, Marcus mentioned, we might actually see if we can line up for a chat. So appreciate you listening in. Cheers.